Hello friends, and welcome back to another episode of These Five Songs. Uh, today's episode is going to be a really interesting one, because today on the show, we have Michael Cunniff, uh, lead guitarist of Boston Manor, and um, this episode comes at a very good time, because Boston Manor's third record, Glue, is going to be releasing tomorrow, May 1st. Um, so let's kick it off right away. Let's start with Glue. Um, the record comes out tomorrow. It's coming out in a world that is filled with confusion, frustration, anger, sadness, greed, all this kind of stuff. Um, have there been talks with the label about delaying the record, or is this kind of, you think, the necessary record for this time in the world's history? Um, I think we did... Uh... <laughs> oh, uh, thanks for having me. Sorry, that's... Show, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I just so... <laughs> kind of kicked into this, like, big loaded yeah, question without, like, <laughs> having you no, say hello. <laughs> It's all good. Yeah, no, hello. <laughs> uh, nice nice to be speaking to you again. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you were under like a strict time limit or anything like that. But um, No, man, we got but... all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, we uh, we basically, uh, when all of this was going down, uh, we did have a little chat with the label and our management. And um, I think we just kind of arrived at the conclusion that I feel like no matter what we do this year, I mean we could delay the record for an entire year. And I think that would just be so counterproductive. And if anything, I feel like that would just set us back at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, were obviously like very excited to release it. And um, we, we can't wait until it's out. So we were just like, yeah, stick to the schedule. Um, we'd already begun dropping singles. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it's probably a really good time to be releasing music. Cause I feel like a lot of people maybe need something to, you know, a lot of people rely on music and, and a lot of people are going to be at, right at home at the moment, whether mm-hmm. they're working from home or self-isolating. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's um, the perfect time to do it. And and like you said as well, with the uh, the range of topics and issues that it covers, I feel like it's it's kind of hit at a really sort of perfect time, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. There's, there's, it's a... It seems like, and I mean, I haven't, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to hear it. Uh, it's, it's a 13 track album. So there's a lot of ground to cover um, in the grand scheme of things with it. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you've asked me to pick five songs that influenced the record and uh, yeah. I kind of, I've kind of revised it a couple of times in my head. Actually, I've got, I've got five, I think I've got five songs. Yeah. Um, Maybe for this episode, you could say uh, six songs, you know, these six songs. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, yeah, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple that we can definitely talk about. Um, yeah, like I said, very excited to put it out. Um, it wasn't an easy record to write by any means, um, especially around the touring and, uh, and, 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 tr- well, trying to fit writing in and, and, forcing yourself to be inspired when you're barely at home and you're exhausted physically and mentally it honestly it it nearly ended us it was uh Uh, it was a a tough record to write yeah Um, and i i I read online like that uh yeah with this record it was it came at like a, a really necessary time like you said um even like the last time i think we actually spoke uh you were explaining to me like how burnt out you had been um and and i mean you guys were touring like non-stop so i'm sure that's that's difficult for inspiration right yeah absolutely yeah. and um it's one of those things where um we kind of like um we did after we recorded it we went on a couple of other tours we did like a europe tour and 
full our first full us actually which was really awesome actually it was really cool um and the other bands were we were like uh, oh yeah yeah we're putting a new record out next year blah 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 and they were just like when the hell did you guys have time to record like write and record a record yeah it's insane and we were just like we don't know and at this point we're just like like just husks of human beings at this point we're just like we're just shadows of our former selves and 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 uh, you know like uh talking about the whole coronavirus thing as well like mm-hmm. um obviously it's uh it's a terrible thing that's that's going on but it's it's um given us a lot of time to re- like properly rest and um and and recuperate and uh we we feel a lot more rejuvenated and it, it i feel like next time we go on tour now it's going to feel like touring for the first time it's going to yeah, be like yeah. a you know second wind or whatever completely yeah yeah, no, I, th- I think concerts in general, um, I, I do think it'll take a little bit until, you know, people are willing to, to go to a sweaty, you know, punk show. But um, once it does kind of uh, come to fruition, I think people are just going to be, you know, as excited as they've been in years to be going to shows. I think I think people are going to be so excited to get back into. I mean, I, there's going to obviously be a lot of um, uh, hesitance and apprehension, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, once once it all kicks back off again, people are obviously going to be really excited to get back to it. But I, I, that's, that's the thing though, man, I'm, I'm really worried that the, the world is, is changed permanently now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to go back to, to how it used to be. And I don't know what that means for live music. I'm really, obviously we always talk about like independent venues. We, we care about them a lot because it's where we cut our teeth and we're me and my friend actually were talking the other day and we were saying, God, I really, hope that these independent venues are still able to carry on after all of this okay, because it's yeah. like it, yeah. I, I saw a few postings even already in toronto uh venues that are closing and it's like oh. and, i mean it makes complete sense right it's um there's that economic like that, that's a lot that's a lot to handle as a, a business that already is you know kind of on the on the fringe um with, with that I, it's yeah yeah ab- absolutely and um one of them, I know where the ma- I don't know if you're aware of the Masquerade in Atlanta. It's it's one of my favorite venues, but they've um, they've got all kinds of like you know fundraisers and stuff like that. I, I donated a little bit of a little bit of money towards them because they I, I love all of the, you know all the venues we play, but like yeah. they really look after the bands that pass through, and they they have like a you know they have a chef that cooks amazing food, and they always like bend over backwards for every band, you know, and it's always so fun passing through there so I, I thought you know i hope that a lot of the other venues are getting the same kind of attention and people are being you know as supportive as they should be mm-hmm. because because at the end of the day if that's your local venue and you you're so used to going shows there and it shuts down then that's a big part of your life that you're not going to be able to to get back completely so yeah. it is it is important to support your local venue for sure especially like you know it's it, like you said like it is going to be the diy venues that are getting hit by this the most and i i certainly don't want you know just a bunch of like corporate arenas left after all this so oh uh, there's already too many of those right yeah so <laughs> yeah. please yeah su- support diy venues right now but uh let's let's get into the, the the show itself let's uh kick it off with the first song uh nine inch nails march of the pigs off the album the downward spiral released march 8th 1994 um 
great song. Uh, and immediately, a lot of comparisons I found can be drawn between this and Everything is Ordinary, uh, whether it be like those huge distorted guitars or that just riding uh, drum beat. Yeah, they, um, there's definitely a lot of uh, similarities. And, and I have to admit, that song really did kind of light a fire under us because that song really didn't sound anything like that when we when we demoed it and it mm. was almost it was quite disappointing to be honest because the the vocals were just so powerful um and we 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 felt like we couldn't lose the song we were we were so worried that we were going to have to can it and and move on and then we were we were kind of listening to because that's what we do as a band we we draw our instrument our inspiration from our favorite bands we've always we always want to be our favorite bands and um, we've really been like delving into the Nine Inch Nails uh, catalog recently, and um, and that that song just was just so balls to the wall, so powerful. And we were like, why don't we just flip this song on its head? Yeah. Why don't we bring in bring in a drum beat? We I remember um, we wanted the drums to sound trashy. We wanted everything in the song to sound trashy, to be honest. <laughs> so so the drum kit was mic'd by just one microphone. And maybe like a couple of like room mics, like overheads and stuff. But that was literally it. Just one microphone on the drum kit, get it sounding right. And we pushed with the mix. We kind of just pushed the drums to the forefront of the song. So it's kind of like the, the vocals kind of take a little bit of a back seat there. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is just like that drum beat marching all the way through it. You, March of the pigs, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was um, something that really got us so excited about in the studio. And um, I remember actually, because um, we worked with Mike Zappone, mm-hmm. and I remember after we finished the song, and it was actually one of the first songs that we started working on, and it was probably the last song that we finished as well, um, because it was so difficult to get it right and to get it sound like the way we wanted to. And he turned to us and he just said to us, he said, thank you guys. And we were like, what? What do you mean? What are you saying? He's like that. He said that's the most exciting thing that I've, I've been a part of in the studio. Wow! And and for him to say that to us as well, that's... because I'm sure all of your listeners know, you know, who he's responsible for recording and yeah, taking and back he, Sunday. He was um, like the the list goes on and on. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, and yeah, he uh, he was just so stoked on it, and and it got us really excited because it really. At first, we were listening to it and we were like. It doesn't sound it doesn't sound like us. It doesn't sound right, and and we were trying to figure it out. And there were certain things that we didn't like about the song, certain things that we loved about the song. And then we realized that we were completely outside of our comfort zone with it. Mm-hmm. And um, and that got us all really excited because that's exactly where we want to be, you know. And it it keeps us fresh. And and we thought maybe if we felt that way about the song. We wanted to see how other people would feel about the song as well. Like we wanted to kind of almost like polarize people. And well, yeah, and, I, was, I, I, yeah I was gonna yeah, say like um, with March of the Pigs. So I mean, that was the first single released off the Downward Spiral. Um, similarly to how Everything Is Ordinary. I mean, it was technically the first single off Glue, right? Um, Liquid came out before, but uh, as like this is the album. This is the the first thing we're showing you. Um, were you worried that the song could be polarizing to listeners? Um, well, the thing is, we've, we've never really had that before. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I don't want to sound big headed, but like across the board, like um, we've had like quite few negative comments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we released that song, uh, there was so much like hatred towards the, uh, 
it was quite funny actually because everyone was like, "Why did you put auto tune on the vocals?" And then some some other people were like, "Well, actually, it's not auto tune. It's, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. uh, distortion with blah blah blah." And and actually, it's quite it's quite sad to say it, but it is actually just auto tune. And we we cranked we cranked it okay um, yeah. because we wanted we wanted it to sound weird and yeah, we wanted, wanted to kind of grab people's attention. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it's abrasive, and and it's mm-hmm. abrasive. You know, like for it's an abrasive listen. I think a lot of people can can really enjoy it and i think it'll go down really really well live but um when you're not used to listening to that kind of song or music or if you don't know uh where we're coming from it can be quite odd i think and um and and you know what man like it was difficult i'm not i'm not gonna lie it was actually quite difficult to see a lot of the negativity um uh, but then when we got past that it was really interesting to us as well um to see why certain people don't like certain things and why certain people are, are not comfortable with their favorite band uh, moving to a different sound. Uh, and it actually opened up a really great dialogue uh, mm. amongst, you know, people online. And I saw a, a couple of really well-written articles that, um, that kind of shed a little bit of light on it. And, and it actually opened my eyes up a little bit as well. And um, because I'm sure we're all guilty about it when, you know, when your favorite band changes the sound and, it's not what you expected and sometimes you just automatically you don't like it because i feel like when something is different i feel like your automatic go-to um intuition is to is to almost like shun it and mm-hmm. and, and or like you know dislike it, it or, of, or question yeah. it yeah so it was it was it was cool it was almost like an experiment and um it was really great releasing it and i, I think overall i think the reviews were really positive and uh, but yeah, it was. I think it was like our first kind of experience uh, polarizing people in yeah. a way. Well, I, it was, I, I, it's great. I think it is exciting though. Like in terms of uh, even like how the downward spiral when when they released that as the first single, it would have been after Pretty Hate Machine, right? So it's like this new wave like synth uh, record going into you know March of the Pigs. It's kind of it, it's it's a big leap, but you know that's the record that um kind of defined nine inch nails so sometimes you got to make that jump right (laughs) absolutely and and i actually pretty hate machine is is probably my favorite um nails record but Mm -hmm. at the same time like you can see how because that first nine inch nails record pretty hate machine is is like it's like a a groovy dark pop record yeah you know it's not it's not worlds away from like you know the likes of Duran Duran and came out at the late part of the eighties. And then for them to kind of like release uh, March of the pigs, it was almost them just saying like, this is who we are. This is the new era of music. This is what nine inch nails is. And I guess like in a way we didn't really, I guess like we didn't really think about it too much, but in the same way we kind of did like the similar kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, and, and so also Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have both done a lot of, uh, fantastic scores for films, um, film and kind of the entire visual medium have become a massive part of Boston Manor, um, as far as the aesthetic and everything. Have you ever thought about doing some scoring? Oh, dude, if, if they'd let us, it's, uh, yeah, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be our dream to do it, but you know, yeah. like there, there is really so much to I, I guess that you already need to know about scoring there's a lot to films. It, yeah. There's a lot to it. And 
and I actually watched um, uh, There Will Be Blood for the first time uh, a few weeks ago, and mm. um, I was really stoked to see uh, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead had scored the scored the uh, you know the soundtrack to that film, yeah. and it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And it's just it's just loads of really fast like strings, and you know um, it, it's really classic. And and I just thought I listened to it, and I just went, "There's no way." I mean, maybe sometime in the future, but there's no way that we could do something so incredible <laughs> like that, you know, um, at this point anyway. Uh, we'd probably start off, um, maybe it would be really exciting to actually uh, maybe write and, and film like a short movie and then score that and then That'd kind of cool. go from there and see, see where we're at because we, we've always been so interested in cinema. It's, it's kind of one of the big... Um, inspirations and focal points behind boston manor is that we're all big film lovers mm -hmm. so it you know give us a little bit of time space and <laughs> and maybe we'd be able to do something like that that's right you know look yeah, out look out really cool. hans zimmer <laughs> <laughs> uh but actually uh this is a great uh great segue here so uh you just mentioned uh johnny greenwood and, and his scoring so right into Radiohead Morning Bell off the album Kid A released October 2nd 2000 um, a great song once again and this is another example of a fairly big tonal shift uh, was Radiohead kind of going from OK Computer uh, into Kid A which you know a lot more synths a lot more electronic instruments and um, kind of like unconventional weird like jazzy song structure sort of yeah, I'm starting to see a little bit of a pattern emerging here, actually. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely love Kid A. Uh, we mm -hmm. all do. Uh, it's um, it's a record that I feel like you you can't you can't get it straight away. I think you know it's not one of those that jumps out at you, and and it's one of their best records, and it's one of the best records of all time. Um, I'm sure I've, I've I've read a couple of you know those hundred greatest records of all time and it's always it's in like the top 10 20 you know it's always on the list um and it's a record that's such a difficult listen but it's such a rewarding listen you know and that song in particular i think jumped out at me because um it's electronic and it's it's kind of i don't know it's kind of aggressive mm -hmm. in the way that the drum the drums are always driving through it and that's what we did on this album is we we used a lot of uh we started writing the songs using a lot of samples and drum loops yeah um, and we tried to keep them consistent all the way through the song um another kind of experiment um we, we just thought it'd be kind of fun just to let something you know let let something play and just see where the song ends up at the end of it you know yeah um so yeah the um the synths in that song as well. Um, I know Radiohead like to use the Prophet Six, which we use quite a lot in the in the studio, um, and it's got such a mournful sound to it. And I think that I think that comes across a little bit on uh, on a high ledge. Actually, I was going to say um, yeah that that song definitely reminded me kind of especially with like the synth work and everything. Um, reminded yeah. me of that song. And uh, and also like the the odd time signatures as well. Um, it's not something that we try to do. We're not trying to like confuse ourselves or the audience, but um, it's something that we sometimes fall into. Where I think when something 
sounds a little bit different and maybe the time signature is a bit different. I don't want to get all boring and nerdy about it. No, I think no. it kind of <laughs> it jumps out at you a little bit more yeah. than, you know, your standard 4-4 four, four beats and 3-4 yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, it was interesting um, using those different time signatures um, and using those loops in uh, on a high ledge. And I think there's so many different elements. I know I picked Morning Bell, but there's so many different elements on Kid A, like the Mellotron and the synths that actually um, come into that song and kind of take it to like a soaring level. And then yeah. it's just it's just gone like that. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of like it soars and it gets bigger and bigger and then it's gone before you know it. And there's something quite um, cin- cinematic, uh, cinematic about that as well. Which, For sure. Um, we really like um in, interestingly enough so i was i was trying to find like some info on this song and uh i guess tom york was asked by mtv if this song was about divorce and he went into this entire explanation where he said that it's not about divorce but uh what happened was uh he so they finished okay computer he he buys this house um this empty old house and he says he said that it had a ghost in it um and no one ever mentioned it but everyone knew you could just feel that there was a ghost in it it was quite friendly but it was a ghost (laughs) and then he he said that i guess he had filled up an entire mini disc of like uh half you know done songs and and whatever and there was a lightning strike it wiped it all out uh and then he was just like whatever this house is haunted it's fine uh got on an airplane six months later and then he like i guess he he hadn't been sleeping a lot lately and then he was just kind of staring at the you know just looking off into the distance and just remembered this song morning bell um wow like it came back to him i guess completely as he had written it with all the words and everything like right away which i I don't know i found that like so interesting and and very tom york (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely i mean i wish we had interesting stories like that and folklore about how <laughs> our songs were written but it's, it's for us it's a very grueling and self-hating process there's there's no <laughs> and, songs uh, written in a in a haunted house no <laughs> not quite we're not at that no. level yet it's our dream to do that but we'll we'll get there eventually um that's really interesting though um yeah. i actually watched the kid a documentary and um uh the album Kid A is an album written by a band that was on the verge of breakup. Um, and, I, and I know that there's been a couple of interviews with Tom York back in like the early 2000s where people have pestered him about it and he hates it. And there's an, I remember this particularly awkward interview where he actually kicks off at the, uh, the interviewer and, uh, and accuses him of kind of like digging dirt on the band and stuff rather than kind of getting to the point of the music and, and that they didn't break up yeah um but you can kind of hear that come across and they you, they've almost completely abandoned their guitars on that record mm-hmm. it's almost as if they were bored of being in a band and i know that they kind of hate everything that comes with it um and it's it's a very sorrowful um sorrowful record and uh it's definitely something that we related to and and, and that's the thing with electronic music as well is um i find it a little bit more on the colder side I feel yeah. like it, it lacks like a certain type of emotion uh, that rocks. I feel like rock is a little bit warmer and you that, like, a lot of feeling behind and it. And like, of, of like a warm, yeah, the warm sound of like a hissing guitar. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, there's soul in it, but I feel like machines and 
and uh, synths are, are very cold instruments, you know, and and uh, I really like that as well. I like that in in the music. It's almost as if like you're communicating your art through a machine, and it's got mm. this real like I guess like this really twisted like humans and machines coming together and merging and making something completely <laughs> alien and really like almost like the matrix or something you know something really yeah. strange uh, and i've always liked that idea and um and i think that's why we all that's why we all really like that record and i think that's why a lot of that electronic a lot of those electronic elements have made their way into our music as well um because it's... because every day we're becoming closer and closer with machines yeah totally yeah it, it is like yeah and the i'm wondering so you mentioned like as far as kind of um growing like the radiohead kind of got tired of the guitars or whatever did i mean not to that extent but did you find like with this new music you were like I, you know let's why don't we try like some of this why don't we let's like you know this seems more interesting to me at the moment yeah the, it's it's get we keep talking about this and um i think rock music is it's it's kind of at this point it feels like you're kind of like flogging a dead horse mm. it feels like everything's already been done yeah and it feels like the there are so many there are already so many boundaries within it and that, i think that's why a lot of people are chasing electronic music these days because the possibilities are endless with that and i'm not saying that we're ever going to become a, an entirely electronic band because mm-hmm. you know we're so rooted in rock music and we love it but we're just trying so hard to find a way of almost like rejuvenating it and, and making it feel fresh and new again. And I think, you know, like, I, th- I think songs like uh, Everything is Ordinary, I feel like that's maybe a direction in, in how we can do that and maybe mm-hmm. alleviate ourselves of some of the, the boredom of just like, you know, just slamming some power chords on or down tuning some guitars. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is difficult and it's, it's definitely like a, a battle that we, we always face and i and i don't think we ever want to abandon rock music we we there's so much soul behind it and there's so much like um personality and um and uh yeah i guess personality behind rock music um and and so also uh just talking about this album and and kind of like the influence that's played on i'm sure a lot of bands uh, it's kind of crazy that in the massive hype leading up to it, it was played for critics and most were confused and they predicted that listeners would feel the same way. Um, a majority of reviews coming out were brutal, um, almost like attacking the band at their core, more so than the music. Um, Mark Beaumont, a critic for Melody Maker, uh, said that the album was, and I quote, Tubby, ostentatious, self-congratulatory, look ma, I can suck my own cock, whiny old rubbish. About <laughs> 60 songs were started that no one had a bloody clue how to finish. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of truth in that, really, isn't there? I, mean, I, I, just, I, I just thought it was the... That's such, like, a... Just an absolute, like, takedown. It's so aggressive. It's so aggressive. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it, it just goes to show, like, how one person's opinion really doesn't matter and mm-hmm. and i mean they they kind of already they already kind of like um went against the norm when they when they released paranoid android as a single yeah, like that true. song is like what like nine minutes long and they said no radio station's ever gonna play this and 
it was it's one of the you know next to karma police it, it was it was a single it's one of the biggest songs ever and it's like um it's it's kind of like a, a weird creepy bohemian rhapsody yeah. of the song you know it's got so many sections to it and they they proved they proved the critics wrong and they proved everyone wrong with that and they did it again with kid a you know it's that record is so well loved and it was it, it pioneered um a lot of like electronic you know a lot of the the use of electronic music in rock music and in indie music um and and it's crazy that people got it as well you know because yeah. it is so different to, and it's not an easy listen no no is it you know it's <laughs> it's a record that i used to put on time and time again when i was at college mm-hmm. and uh it really helped me study because of those loops and those constant you know the repeating vocals and stuff like that and yeah it eventually is weirdly, like calming and it's kind of strange like loops and it, yeah like those yeah. sets are very yeah yeah it is calming and it's it's weirdly hypnotic and mm-hmm. I, and then after a couple of listens i just got it and um then you delve into it a little bit more but it's such a beautiful record yeah really i never is. i honestly never got it for the longest time like uh i i always like i always stated my favorite radiohead record was the bends which I mean, it's I, I think that still might be honestly, which I know is kind of a hot take, but um, oh, the Benz is great, mate. Right, like love, uh, the, love just, the Benz. It's completely like you know, it's totally not even the same like sound whatsoever. It's way more like alternative kind of rock, but um, yeah. Radiohead. I feel like <laughs> yeah, I felt like yeah, I felt like Radiohead kind of. I think they did all they could have done with. Um, you know, Pablo Honey, The Bends, and Paranoid mm. Android with, with rock music. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine them doing another rock record after that. They must have been absolutely tired by that and the lifestyle that comes with it as well. You know, they're, they, yeah. they're, they're anti rock stars and they, they don't belong. I know they were probably trying, people were trying to probably like pigeonhole them in the, uh, the Brit pop group or the grunge group. And, and they were like, nah, we kind of want to be our own thing. And, yeah. uh, and they did. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They went off and did it. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next song, uh, Silver Chair, Anthem for the Year 2000, off the album Neon Ballroom, released March 8th, 1999. Um, kind of funny that this was released exactly five years uh, to the date as Downward Spiral. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, just a I weird like that little, you found that connection there. That's a nice. weird little coincidence, like right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And once again, we see another album that had a tonal shift. Um, and with this record, the band introduced kind of darker themes, more electronic elements, and different song structure once again. So, uh, again, kind of matching that that element of the last two songs as well. Another, yeah, another trend. Um, it's, yeah it's uh it's the first silver chair song that i ever heard um and it didn't take me it took me like a few more years actually to get back to listening to their older stuff but um yeah they were straight up like an alternative almost yeah. like grunge new grunge band before then and i i, I that's why i think anthem of the year 2000 is just so interesting because it is it is miles away from what silver chair were doing before and i have to admit like i chose the song but i i know virtually nothing about silver chair um <laughs> Other, other than uh, that the singer was married to Natalie Imbruglia. And uh, oh, I've listened... <laughs> yeah. And I've listened to their, their music, but I've never really delved into uh, the history of the band. Um, and, I, and I just love that song. The, the guitars, it's like borderline stadium rock. 
uh, yeah, without it being entirely. too cheesy. It's like an anti-stadium rock song. Um, and I just love the, the, wall, the walls of guitars were what kind of like stood out. And when you listen to them on a good stereo, like they just sound really powerful. And we wanted to get our guitars sounding a bit like that on, you know, there's um, the other single that we released, Rat King. Mm-hmm. I think that was a, a, a reference for Rat King. Um, and uh, yeah, just love the, the lead guitar work in there. They've used a lot of cool fuzz pedals and stuff. Yeah, I was um, going to mention as well, like, there's kind of the, the way that the song opens, that, like, creepy sort of uh, ambient, like, guitar. Uh, Rat King also kind of has, like, this interesting sort of, like, creepy guitar tone in the verse. That little, do you know what I'm talking about? That little... <laughs> yeah. Like, the ding, ding, ding. like it's just, uh, yeah, it, it kind of creates this entire, like, ambient uh, tone, I find. Yeah, it was yeah, it was really fun to do that one. Um, that's actually one of my favorite lead guitar parts on the record, um, just before the chorus hits. Yeah. And uh, it's not easy to play, to be honest. I have to use a bunch of pedals and stuff, and kind of really made a lot of work for myself. But uh, it sounds awesome. We blended the guitars with the synth that kind of follows the same pattern, and it gives it kind of like this really, like, kind of like weird wobbly bendiness yeah. to it. I don't know. It's, exactly, it's really yeah. fun. Um, and, and so it's also, it's kind of funny. I was going to mention, uh, which is, it's hilarious that you also know nothing about silver chair because I actually have written down here. I was like, uh, I don't think I realized how big of a band silver chair were. Um, massive. And I, I like know nothing about this band and that's kind of, I was wondering to myself, like, why is this band not recognized like on the same kind of plateau that like a band like Pearl Jam or something is like, I don't know. It seems strange. I, th- I felt like uh, there were a lot of bands in that era that kind of were just, they were really just kind of like, uh, it's a bit mean to say it, but maybe they were just kind of like banking and riding, banking off the success of Nirvana and that yeah. whole grunge era and kind of like riding on the coattails of that. Yeah. And they were around for a second and then new metal came o- came over and kind of like, put an end to all of the new grunge kind of bands, you know, like no one was really, I felt like no one was as interested in stuff like that anymore. And people just wanted to hear Limp Bizkit and Korn. Uh, yeah. So I, I felt like they were around for really a hot second, but they were from Australia and they were absolutely massive over there. I don't know about the States, but um, in Australia, you know, they were a big stadium rock band. Well, and even um, like this video, the I watched the music video and I was like, this is clearly like a massive budget because there's like all this like CGI um, and like the people are like half Android and the, like m- these massive crowds of people. I was just kind of, I don't know. I was just blown away that um, I did not know this band was that big. Oh man. Back in the day when you could get like actual movie directors to direct your music video and right, yeah. have a crazy budget. Yeah. I, man, <laughs> I, I would give anything to be able to have that now. That'd be right? sick. I, I miss that too. <laughs> like just even, um, like you look at a lot of directors who are like massive now, even like David Fincher or something. Um, and like they were music video directors. So it's, yeah, I, I don't know. That would be cool if, uh, if that still happened, it still does in some cases, I guess, but yeah, a lot, I think a lot in the, the hip hop kind of world where they, they have that kind of budget. But um, yeah, I remember when, I mean, like rock bands just seem to have back then, they just had the most, it, it seemed like they had money to burn. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you look at any production on any Limp Biscuit video, <laughs> like, like, I mean, I think they, they Rollins uh, filmed on top of the Twin Towers, is it not? It, 
All I can I think, think of in the Roland video is that like fisheye shot, but I and the the cars, but I don't think I can think of anything else. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. just crazy, man. But yeah, different like, different sure. times. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so let's let's move on from Silver Chair because we're both kind of in the same place where we're like, this is a good song. We know nothing about this band really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Foles, what what went down? Uh, off the album what went down released august 28th 2015 um this is such like an intense just building song like it just keeps building <laughs> um oh, until it just explodes so at the end it's yeah great song yeah and and another great album as well um and an, an album where i feel like once again i feel like the band changed they they turned from like an indie twiddly indie rock band into something like way bigger, uh, way bolder. Uh, I think there was a lot more thought put into, um, I guess, what they wanted to do in the lyrics. And it's a, it's an amazing one of my favorite rock records of like the past decade. I'd say it's uh, when we found it, we were just front to back, always listening to it. It was always on in the van, mm-hmm. uh, and that that song stood out um, because uh, we we really liked how they kind of like it's quite simple in terms of like chord structure and 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 we love the mix of the vocal on that song as well it's kind of like a little bit far away a little bit less in your face but kind of like there's a lot of reverb on it and it's very repetitive and it's almost hypnotic and it gets into your head uh, and we use the, um, that kind of formula on uh, there's a song on the record called you me in the class war um and uh that that song is like a, a bit of a meld of like biffy clyro and that false song uh, and that was a really exciting thing to do. Um, and to really, it's almost like a jam song. Like we kind of just like really just jammed out on that song. Um, but the fa- my favorite thing about that song in particular is how it, the song kind of in the bridge section in the middle eight, it kind of disintegrates. Yeah. And it's it's weird that it's like this big orchestra kind of comes in and swallows up the guitars. And you can just about make, up, make out the drums still. Mm. Um, and this kind of like it's like an orchestra of like vocals, um, like a choir and uh, synths that just overpower the rock band. And then it, it just it comes up to this climax and then it just kind of like ends. And then there's that line at the end, you know, the chorus line that comes back in again. And then yeah. you just it punches <laughs> back in and it's just so exciting. And um, we kind of did a little bit of that on the last track of the record, Monolith. Okay. as well that was a that was a really big inspiration for the way we uh we ended monolith and uh it's just so powerful dude like ha oh, it's it's yeah. amazing and I, I love the syn- syncopated drum beats in the um in that bridge in that middle eight section it's just really exciting um so the the vocalist of falls uh he said that the recorded version uh is the first one that they ever played um he re re-recorded the vocals uh but the rest of it is completely raw um he said it's one of those moments uh, you can have if you're lucky in the studio where things seem to materialize fully formed um we wanted it to feel like the moment when a predatory animal goes in for the kill there's a savagery to it that i mean that's <laughs> reflected in the music video as well isn't right? it i don't know if you've watched that but it's the same kind of thing isn't it yeah um but that's amazing that that was i mean it does happen that you do get lucky in the studio and 
it's uh kind of like i guess <clears throat> that kind of thing ebbs and flows and i think a couple of um i think a, a couple of times that happened for us with this album as well okay um i think there there were a couple of late night jam sessions where uh you do you do i think when you're when you're playing live i think you act a lot more um i think you're a lot more instinctual with the way that you act and i think um i think it does that that raw emotion from what you're playing comes through a lot better rather than copying and pasting sections on on uh, pro tools or logic you know or like writing a song in sections i think you're kind of like you almost like you, it's almost like you don't know what you're going to play next yeah but but something in you tells you to go there and, mm-hmm. you know um and that, that it's like almost like a magical um aspect behind behind writing music really that you can't explain it but it just mm-hmm. happens and i think that's that's definitely what went down with that song Absolutely. you know it's, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry <laughs> no man that's that's good i, I like the pun uh so <laughs> I watched a live video from Glastonbury uh, of this, and it was, like, insane. Um, the band just has, like, this... It, it almost felt like kind of the, like, presence of a hardcore band, almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. When when writing, do you kind of take into consideration, like, how that song will play out live? Like, is it almost like, okay, this I want this song to, to have this, like, you know, this feeling, this crunch, or, or whatever it is? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely like a a factor that comes into what you're doing, and uh, I feel like you can only really do that when you're writing the songs and you're playing the songs as a band, you know, mm-hmm. rather than, uh, like I said before, you know, uh, doing chop jobs in Pro Tools and stuff, uh, and it's 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 animalistic, and it's like, it is like a very powerful presence, especially in in that song, what went down. It's it's so powerful and. It's definitely something that we keep in mind because I feel like over the past few years, we've almost been, you know, we've become known for our energetic live shows. Yeah. So we, we with this record, we definitely wrote songs with that in mind. And, um, and, and we were, <laughs> unfortunately, obviously the coronavirus thing has happened and we, we're not able to get out and tour, but we were really excited to get out and play these songs. And, uh, you know, it'll happen eventually. Mm-hmm. but we, we can't wait to see to see what happens with that but... absolutely okay so uh on to the next song uh deftones change uh in the house of flies off the album white pony released june 20th 2000 um i like i love this song i love this whole record um it's so it's just so good <laughs> yeah it's uh another year 2000 record in the list yep um and uh yeah and and that i think that was their definitive album as well for sure and and that also that album pissed off a lot of people because it wasn't as heavy it was it was different it was melodic there was electronic elements it was it was gentle and tender at times and uh yeah that was a polarizing record when it came out but it's their best record i think to date for sure, uh, and... you can. Your listeners can fight me on that, but I, I absolutely <laughs> love White Pony, and we we all do in the band. You know, it's um it's one of our collective favorite records. Um, this song is like so so like smooth and lush, but also like aggressive, which I, I think is kind of like it finds that balance so well. Um, it's um, it's definitely one of those songs. Um, I feel I feel like Nirv- um, Deftones 
kind of filled um, an empty void for where Nirvana used to be. You know, I think they they were kind of like the perfect band to to carry on that that kind of like uh, we do what we want. Um, we're, we're still a, like almost like we're a metal band, but we we have like alternative influences, and we st- we still do grunt. We do new age kind of grunge music, which is really cool. Um, but that, I have to say that without watching the music video, I feel like when I listen to that song, the music video is what would play in my head. It's yeah. like you know like a, a really a really disgusting after party yeah. where everything's kind of gone wrong and it's really arty and it's really strange and creepy and i feel like the music video would automatically just play in my head without me even even if i didn't know it existed that's kind of what would go through my head and i think deftones have been always really good at um coming up through their music with like imagery mm-hmm. And I've always got this feeling from Deftones where it, it kind of, it definitely takes you to a place. And, and sometimes it's not a place you want to be, but, you know, sometimes it's like a very dark, twisted kind of um, world that they, they drop you in. And, and I always thought that was really cool about that band. And it's something that we're trying to do as well. We're trying to, you know, like conjure up an Im- uh, like imagery, almost like mm-hmm. film or that, that, that's why we're trying to be a little bit more cinematic, I guess, with, with our approach to, to writing music. But uh, yeah, I, absolutely I love with, the song. Uh, yeah, I, I found with like Welcome to the Neighborhood that that record was kind of that same idea, like total like visual, you, you know, you're completely thinking of like the, the ski mask and everything, all those visual aspects. Absolutely. Um, I think we were quite heavy on the thematics with that record as well. Um, obviously, we did a lot um a lot of production around the music as well to to really it it's kind of strange because like our town that we live in is is known for absolutely nothing anymore it's it's kind of like a cheap getaway uh people to go and have like stag and hendus like you know as you guys call them bachelor and bachelorette parties i think yeah yep. and um and and we we wanted to show blackpool in the way the way that we see blackpool in this kind of like odd and really strange scary kind of world sometimes very beautiful kind of world um and i think that's come across on glue as well quite a bit mm-hmm. um i i don't think we kind of i think i don't think we've fully departed from you know that kind of imagery i feel like it's become a bit of a uh i guess like a cornerstone to to where that what our band is um, uh, the, the kind of cool. cover the album cover is very like just you look at it right away and like, you know, it doesn't even say Boston Manor or anything on it. It's, it's such like an interesting uh, cover. Yeah. We, we got really lucky with that. Um, we, uh, we contacted a, it was a, he was a friend of a friend called uh, Benjamin. Uh, I think it's pronounced Lieber or Lieber. Um, and he'd done a lot of work that we, we already really liked. Um, he's a very talented photographer and uh, we gave him a couple of, uh, I guess like, piece like album arts and stuff like that and uh a lot of the albums we kind of threw his way were a lot of um storm thorgerson's album um artwork that he'd done for pink floyd oh, okay. um so i guess like he drew a lot of inspiration from that oh that um, actually he, that, that makes sense now thinking about that like i'm thinking like the wish you were here cover almost yeah and and yeah. the wall and and mm-hmm. um uh you know dark side of the moon they're all they're all kind of like really odd to look at but yeah oddly pleasing to look at as well like, like there's the symmetry and 
And, and those like album covers stick like in your head forever. Like exactly like what you were saying with Deftones. Like you think about those album covers when you hear those songs. Yeah, and and album covers are are important to us as well because <clears throat> I'm sure like. You know, and and it's cool that uh, the whole vinyl revival has come back as well because I feel mm-hmm. like people really are really starting to cherish um, album covers again and and really you know really look at them and and find you know little hidden uh, Easter eggs and stuff like that and and it does stick in your mind. But we obviously grew up through uh, an age where like CDs were important, you know, and and obviously vinyl was still around. And um, I always had the album in my hand the album that i was listening to i always had it in my hand and i always looked at it when i was listening to the music and i always took the little book out um read through the lyrics and and read through the thank yous and all the artwork and stuff like that was really important and it it supports what you're listening to and it it helps uh, you know uh paint the picture of of what the band was trying to do and and i'm kind of doing it right now absent i've got a copy of it in front of me right now absent-mindedly <laughs> i'm kind of just flicking through it and and uh we're really proud of the way it came out and it's awesome. it's a bit cleaner and a bit you know i don't know <laughs> i don't know what i'm talking about sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no I, I know what you mean though like there's 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 no clutter on the on the cover i mean i haven't seen any of the other elements of the art but um it's very like just a, a clean nice look and, and kind of something interesting to look at um so another note that i have here uh i had to talk about this because i was kind of like blown away when i found out um so this song uh deftones change in the house of flies is in a dragon ball z movie <laughs> no way did you know that <laughs> i did not <laughs> yeah I did absolutely had no idea that's great so it's in the english dub of uh dragon ball z cooler's revenge and uh yeah, it's it's in this scene where um, Goku is battling Cooler and like literally there's dialogue where he's like he's changing and then like the song is playing. It's it, it's so great. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to watch that now. You know, check it out on YouTube. <laughs> uh, there's the the whole clip is on there. But yeah, and, and also like in the same movie, I think um, they had like drowning pool and. Uh, <laughs> Like I was looking at the soundtrack, I was just I couldn't believe that this had happened, and I wasn't aware of it. Like crazy, dude. That's like stuff like Drowning Pool and and all that kind of stuff would be perfect for a Dragon Ball Z uh, yeah. movie. I feel <laughs> that's amazing. Um, they did they did um I remember uh, I saw an episode of uh, American Dad as well, and they used the song in uh, I can't remember which episode it is. I think it's where Stan kind of goes off the rails and starts doing drugs for some reason and uh uh yeah they try and recreate the the deftones video and they play that song <laughs> as well and i'm sure that it was like only a select few people really got the joke it was yeah. a very neat niche uh joke i think to put in uh american dad That's but it was really though. cool really cool yeah um and so that was the five songs, but, uh, so it's actually funny. Another weird coincidence. This is the sixth episode. Uh, so f- for this episode, we got six songs. <laughs> uh, oh, so okay. We, yeah, we got, so we got one more here. Um, tears for fears shout off the album songs from the big chair released February 25th, 1985. Um, this is like yeah. a, cl- a classic song. 
that I'm sure everyone knows. I've I, I'm really surprised at how much um, that's still played over in the US. To be honest, because I I don't think that that song ever makes it on the radio over here. Really? Um, unless I'm listening to all the wrong channels, but um, I, I hear it all the time when I'm in the states, which is yeah. sick. I, I hear it a lot, like even here in Canada. Um, like you'll be at the grocery store or at like you know just some place like that, and and you'll hear it. But uh, yeah, it's crazy that it's still getting play all these years later. Um, there's I, I didn't know that there's a version of the song. Uh, that was recorded for England's football team for the 2010 World Cup, uh, and it features. That's amazing. Well, uh, um, see, that's amazing. But then now the next part, it features James Corden. <laughs> it features who? James Corden. Oh, James don't, Corden. Don't, don't lie. <laughs> Do not lie to me. I'm 100 percent serious. How does it feature James Corden? Like, like he's singing he's on singing it. Singing on it, I think. I didn't. I don't. I didn't listen to it, but. <laughs> I think you might have just ruined my day. It was all I'm going sorry. so perfectly before then. We had a but we have a bonus round with a sixth song, and then you. Why did you have to tell me that? Why does uh, this exist? <laughs> I feel like it's it's weird. Um, I, I don't know. We're, I guess we're just talking about James Corden now. But uh, in, in the states here, well, in the states and Canada, like I think people have taken a liking to him. But I know that he's not really that that liked over there. <laughs> oh, he is just um. <laughs> I don't like him. I'm I'm not really a fan, especially uh, his performance in Cats was not my favorite. But <laughs> I uh, I'm speechless. Yeah. So uh, a, I, now you yeah. know. <laughs> and 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 it, it really it's so strange, man. Because I see it's not just James Corden, but um, I'm sure you're aware of Piers Morgan as well. Um, yeah. I'm I'm just two of the most hated people in our country. How are they? Like, how are they so relevant over in the United States? I do not understand. And, and Canada as well, I guess. What, yeah. What is I, going I on? It. <laughs> it's like opposite, opposite day or opposite world or something. It's uh, really can't stand James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but that's, that's a whole Thanks other. Thanks for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm you know sorry. what? I will, I will actually. I'm like curiosity is going to get the better of me. And yeah. I'm going to go back and listen to that, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll probably check it out too. Um, but a- anyway, this the song is uh, it's like instantly recognizable. Um, but I'm wondering where where does this song kind of play into the influence of of Glue as an album? Um, a lot of it is. Um, I-, I like to say as well that it's another one that we always stick on in the van. Um, a lot of it is the um, I guess like how they build the song um, and how you can and those moody synths that start the song off as well are just something that like we we can't get enough of that yeah you know absolutely it just changes the whole environment uh, that the song occupies and uh and uh we we love it it's catchy it's repetitive uh, and it builds and it gets bigger every time the chorus hits as well whether it's like adding more drum loops or you know a different drum beat or a harmony and it's just absolutely fantastic um one of probably one of my favorite songs of all time actually uh that that i think that that came into play um uh with plasticine dreams as well actually i think we started out writing a song similar to shout uh it ended up turning into plasticine dreams which i feel like it leans a little bit more towards maybe like um oasis 
but uh, yeah, that was yeah. kind of like the the fundamentals and the foundations behind plasticine dreams okay um, cool. and yeah it's a absolute banger of a song i'm gonna stick yeah. it on as well after this and i'm not sticking on the james court <laughs> version I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, 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 I really want to know. I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. It was kind of like the Dragon Ball thing, but more so like, oh. <laughs> but the opposite. Why? Like, did I, I don't get it. Anyway, um, but yeah. So that that's uh, Tears for Fears shout. Um, great, great list overall. We we got to talk about a lot of things today. Uh, and that leaves me with the final question. Uh, what did we learn today? Uh, what did we learn? <laughs> James oh, Corden. Yeah, I, do, I don't want to. That's what, that's what I'm trying to get away from. But uh, it's all I can think about now. James Corden is on a version of Shout. Deftones and, is in Dragon Ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two very important lessons. <laughs> No, but I think we 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 did uh we did learn quite a bit today. I think you taught me uh, you know a lot more than I I knew about the the music that we used as inspiration for the record for sure. It's definitely felt a lot more educational on my side for sure. Well, it's, it, it's I, awesome. I love that I love that you always bring that to our interviews. You always do your research. Oh, that's um, <laughs> and and that, that's why I really enjoy talking to you, you know. It's uh, awesome. It's it's always a good time. Oh yeah, dude. Uh Definitely excited. To, uh, we'll, we'll chat at a, a show coming up, hopefully. I don't know when that'll be, but well, neither do I, my friend. But yeah, um, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be sooner than we think. Hopefully, yeah. So yeah. But, uh, thank you so much, Mike. Uh, great, great time chatting today. Um, you can check out Glue by Boston Manor. It comes out tomorrow. Um, so please uh, go stream it. Go listen to it. Um, yeah. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks so much. We got a new episode coming out next Thursday.